Good, good morning. This is my favorite Sunday morning of the year. And so for those of you who know me and know my heart and my desire to be able to share God's word with you, I'm, I'm so excited to be able to share a message that he's laid upon my heart this morning. And that message is coming from the book of Romans this morning. So if you do have a copy of God's word or you want to pull it up on your app on your phone, uh, Romans chapter 8 this morning is where we will spend our time together. <clears throat> now, again, for those of you who are not uh, familiar with Christ Church or maybe you're visiting here, I don't normally wear a necktie. So if I come out of this thing halfway through, don't get alarmed because I'm not really used to it, but we're going to give it a shot this morning. And so Romans chapter 8. Now, one of the things about Romans chapter 8 is this. I, it, this may kind of sound strange to some of you, but you know, if I only had one passage of Scripture that I could hold on to and that I could keep and study for the rest of my life, I'd be very content with studying Romans chapter 8. It is one of the richest passages in all of the Bible. Uh, you know, for a new believer especially, I know a lot of times we, we tell new believers, you know, start reading through the Gospels, maybe Matthew or John. But I'll tell you what, it would not hurt a new believer if you're here today to, to dig into Romans chapter 8. And uh, it just, it covers so much. It is so full. It is so rich. And so God laid this message upon my heart this morning, being Resurrection Sunday. It has a lot to say about our response to the reality and the historical truth that Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive. Um, he is not dead. He is risen. And so I understand that in a, on a day, a particular day like this, uh, what we would call one of our holy days, uh, Resurrection Sunday, Christmas season is, is very similar, that we, we might have a, a broad mixture of people in here, uh, a variety of people in the audience, and some of you may not be very comfortable here this morning. Some of you may have been drug along by somebody else against your will, or some of you may have been invited by a friend or a family member, and you're just like, I don't really know what to expect. And so I just want to put you at ease this morning, because no matter who you are, or where you come from, or what your background is, or why you're here, for any of those reasons, the message today is for you. You may be, you may be in, a, in a very, uh, very vibrant, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ in a very good season of your life as a believer. Let me tell you something, this message is for you. You may be here and you may be completely indifferent to the things of God or to church whatsoever, disillusioned with organized uh, religion or whatever your preconceived notions may be. Let me tell you something. Today, this message is for you. You may be someone who maybe was once very close to God and maybe you've drifted and you feel like you're far away from God and just for some reason you decided to come back on a uh, Easter Sunday morning. I'm going to tell you something. Today's message is for you. And so that's the, the beautiful thing that we get to see in the, in the book of Romans, especially in the 8th chapter. And so what I want to do is read Romans 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning. And then I'm going to ask and answer four questions. And I think these questions are, are very pertinent. I think they're very relevant. I think that, that you will identify with each and every one of these four questions this morning. And I pray that God will minister to your heart as we see that Jesus Christ is truly, he is truly the answer to every one of these four very difficult questions this morning. So if you have your, your Bibles, Romans 8 chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Paul writing to the believers in Rome says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteousness, excuse me, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, as we open your word, knowing that it is power, it is truth, that, Lord, your word transcends all time and culture, it transcends geography, it transcends um, any belief system. Your word is the bedrock, the foundation of truth for all mankind. And today, as we proclaim this gospel, I pray that it would penetrate hearts and minds in a way, Lord, that all of us would be able to walk away from here forever changed and having had a true encounter with the one living Lord, Jesus Christ. So be with me today, Lord, a sinner who is uh, fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to open your word and share it with your people. Have mercy on me, Lord, and have mercy on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Four questions this morning based upon this text, and you're going to see them kind of begin to unfold as we walk through this text together. So the first question I have this morning is, are you living with the spirit of condemnation? Are you living with the spirit of condemnation? Well, the answer is come to Jesus because he will set you free. But let's talk a little bit about this word condemnation. You see, Paul uses it several times in this passage. The first thing he says is that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And a little bit later, he says in verse uh, 3 that by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so Paul is using this word condemnation. And I just want to, again, ask you, do you feel condemned this morning before God? Because let me tell you something. There is a holy God. There is a righteous judge to whom we must give an account. You see, this word condemnation really is a legal term. And, it, you know, all of us have seen a court scene. All of us have probably either been in a court uh, setting. Maybe you've been on a jury. Maybe you've been called to witness. Maybe you've had to face a judge facing charges of yourself, whatever it may be. But this particular word condemnation, it is a, a legal term. And many of us would be uh, easier to identify with this term, understanding that it really just means guilty. To be condemned 
Picture yourself standing before a judge. You've broken some type of a law, and the judge says you are condemned. You're guilty. That means it implies that there's a law and that we are lawbreakers. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to get to the heart of right here. He's, under, he's trying to help us. Uh, he's trying to paint a picture that, yes, there is legitimate condemnation for those of us who are lawbreakers. And uh, almost every psychologist in the world would, under, would agree that, that guilt is a universal and a natural human emotion, meaning that probably everybody in this room here has either experienced or is experiencing some sense of guilt right this very moment. Why is that? Because it's also a theological and a biblical concept, this concept of guilt or this concept of condemnation. And that concept is directly connected to the fact that we all are guilty before a holy God. Let me do a little exercise with you this morning. I I like doing this sometimes, and I think it would maybe help us all Uh, At least because some of us may not feel any sense of condemnation and some of us may have an unwarranted amount of condemnation this morning. I'm going to answer that for you in just a second. But maybe some of you in here today are saying, no, I'm good. I'm there's nothing wrong with me. I don't feel guilty at all. And, and, And that may be a good thing, but that may be something that you're trying to ignore and deny as well. So let's just do a very simple exercise this morning using the Ten Commandments. God's law. Right. Now, you don't have to answer out loud. Or raise your hand. But let me ask you a couple of questions. How many lies have you told in your lifetime? If you say none, you just lied. (laughs) Have you ever used the name of the Lord in vain? Isn't it funny how every movie, they don't use any other religious leader's name in vain. It's just always our God's name that's used in vain, right? Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? Some of you may say, oh, I'm, I'm not a thief. I haven't stolen anything. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been at work and used your boss's time for your own free time? Guess what you just did? You stole the time you're supposed to be working for them. You just stole it to use it for your own personal time. You see, that, that, that would qualify as taking something that does not belong to you? Have you ever harbored hatred in your heart towards someone else? Maybe right now you're harboring some type of hatred in your heart. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says that if you harbor hatred in your heart, then you are also on equal ground as a murderer. Have you ever looked with lust on another in your heart? Jesus said, if you looked with lust on a woman in your heart, you've, at that moment, you've just as much as committed adultery with her. So based on just using the Ten Commandments as a, as a standard this morning, I think all of us, as we kind of answer those questions in our own heads, and our own hearts this morning, here's where we would probably have to judge ourselves. Again, I'm not judging you. You're basically judging yourselves. If we're going to use that standard this morning, which I think all of us would agree would be a fair standard, this is God's law, his perfect standard, and this is what we would be forced to readily admit, that we are all are lying, blaspheming, thieving, murderous, adulterers at heart. So if we were to stand before God today, just based on that simple test this morning, and we were to stand before the righteous judge, and he were to pronounce a sentence upon us, would we be innocent or would we be guilty? You can say this out loud. Guilty as charged, right? Condemned. The law condemns. 
Just simply looking at the law of God condemns. And guess what? Even if you are a saint in here, maybe you're another Mother Teresa. You know what the Bible says? That if we are guilty of just breaking one part of the law, then we're guilty of breaking all of it. So, you know, just one slip up and we're still guilty before a holy God. And so the the reason I'm doing this is because, let me tell you something, you cannot come to appreciate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ until you first understand there's some bad news. That it is so easy for us to hide behind our own sense of morality or our own standard that we create for ourselves. Or you know what we really do? We compare ourselves by ourselves and other people. I heard someone share this story. This is, I didn't intend to share this, but I'll share it with you. It's a very good illustration. It was like a young shepherd girl who's out in the field, and she's, she's, she's shepherding her sheep, and the sheep have their, the white wool, and she looks at the sheep and out there in the green grass, and she says, man, those sheep really are white and beautiful. They stand apart. They are set apart from the green grass behind them. And then all of a sudden came a beautiful virgin snow that just fell upon the whole land. And she looked back out at those same sheep, and she said, man, those sheep sure are dirty. Compared to what? The beautiful, pristine, virgin snow. You see, if we're not careful, we begin to compare ourselves to other people. And we can always find somebody who is maybe a little worse off than we are. Maybe has a little more moral problems than we do. And so therefore we can justify our own lives. But when we we set ourselves up in, in light of the holiness and the perfection and the righteousness of a holy God. You see, all of us, we fall short, don't we? All of us see ourselves for who we really are. Are. Let me read this passage because this is one of the, obviously the most famous, famous passages in all the Bible, John 3.16. But you know what? We usually stop after 3.16. Let's continue reading to 3.17 and 18. Listen to what the Gospel of John says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. But keep reading. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. There's that same word, condemn but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now listen, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, right there in the most famous passage, John chapter 3, if we would just read a little bit further, we would see that, yes, God did send Jesus into the world not to condemn us, but to offer us salvation and freedom from our sin and freedom from this guilt or this spirit of condemnation that you may be having this morning. But if you have rejected God's only provision for forgiveness, if you have rejected God's only means of salvation right now, you stand condemned. Just like I did one day. Many years ago, before I had trusted in Jesus Christ, I was living my life every single day in condemnation before God, guilty. But I have good news. Is that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, and you maybe maybe just that exercise we did just a moment ago, maybe it really began to make you start thinking, wait a minute, maybe I, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I am guilty before a holy God. Maybe I am trusting in myself uh, in, in some way or on my own moral standard or goodness, and I'm trying to get through this life in my own strength. Maybe that's where you are this morning and you begin to feel the weight of guilt and you begin to feel the weight of God's righteous judgment. Let me tell you something. You can turn to Jesus Christ today and be fully forgiven and set free from a spirit of condemnation. 
there's nothing in the world like it. The burden is lifted. You understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for all of your sin. All of it. Past, present, future. But you may be a believer in here today. You know what? Because even as believers in Jesus Christ, you know that we still many times will struggle with thoughts of condemnation, self-condemnation. And many times that's the devil trying to accuse us. Or many times that's us not understanding who we really are in Christ Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross, that he really did cleanse us from all sin and from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we, we even as believers, struggle with that concept because it's like it's, like, it's not fair. You mean, how, why would Jesus give his life in exchange for mine, right? That's not fair. That's exactly what the meaning of grace is. Do y'all know that? Life's not fair. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Amen. That's the definition of not fair, grace. And we wrestle with that sometimes. So even if you're a believer in here today, I want to remind you that if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. There's a couple of words in the scripture that the Bible uses many times. One of them is redeem and one of them is ransom. And those words are also legal terms as well because Jesus is our redeemer and he came to pay the what? The ransom. What does that mean? It's the, it's the implication that we're, that we're in bondage and that we're being held in prison that we're prisoners against uh, our own will and that we cannot free ourselves, we cannot liberate ourselves, so therefore it takes someone who is greater than we are who can come and who is outside of that situation who can redeem us or ransom our life back. In other words, there has to be a price that is paid to set us free. Amen. And that's the message of the gospel. For the wages of sin is death. There's a price for sin. Wages, price, there's a price. Wages of sin is what? It's death. So who paid our price? Jesus did. He's the only one who paid the price to pay the ransom for your sin and for my sin. Therefore, he's the only one who can set you free. The second question I want to ask you this morning, are you struggling with the spirit of hatred? Are you struggling with the spirit of hatred? Look at what Paul says in Romans 8. I'm going to begin back in, in verse 5. He said, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And he goes on to say that for, to set the mind on flesh is death. And then in verse 7, uh, he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is what? is hostile to God. Now, that's a, a particular word. That's a, an interesting word. And I kind of wanted to highlight that word because that's a very strong word that Paul uses right here. He says, anyone who is still separated from God, who has set their minds on the flesh, who has not been set free and forgiven and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, is that we are still living in a perpetual state of enmity with God. The word hostility means a very strong sense of, of hatred to the point that you want to inflict harm on somebody. If condemnation is a legal term, this word enmity or this word hostility or this word, you can say hatred, this word, it's a military term. It implies that there's a what going on? A war and that you have an enemy and there's great conflict between you and your enemy and you hate your enemy and your enemy hates you and if you do anything that you can do to get a chance to inflict harm on your enemy, you're going to take advantage of that. Let me tell you something. We don't like to talk about that here in the church very often, but we're born into this life and we are hostile toward God. Did you know that? The scriptures are clear about this. We're born not as friends of God. We're born actually as 
enemies of God. In conflict with God. The Bible says that if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more are we reconciled? Shall we be saved by his life? You see, Paul knew that we were born enemies of God and Jesus Christ went. And that's the, that's the it's almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not reckless, but um, scandalous. It's almost scandalous to think about what Jesus Christ was willing to do for you and me in that while we were still what? Sinners. Christ came to die for us. He did not wait for us to join his team. He did not wait for us to to, to declare peace and and come on to the other side. He said, no, I'm going to save them while they're in a state of hostility toward me. This is contrary to anything that we as humans would ever do or think to do. But some of you in this room today, you're struggling right now with the spirit of hatred. I think about Where does hatred come from? A lot of times I think it comes from fear. Maybe you're you're wrestling with the spirit of fear. And and, and then it has anger. There's anger, deep-rooted anger involved in the spirit of hostility. But but you say, well, well, what what kind of hatred do I have? Well, you may have hatred for yourself. Some of you don't even like yourself. Some of you may have hatred for someone else. Just thinking about that person or whoever that person is in your life that just you think about their name or their name is brought up to you and you immediately feel your blood pressure begin to rise and you begin to feel anger well up inside of you. Think about that. There may be some deep-rooted anger or hatred towards somebody else. And let me tell you what the worst kind. So some of you in this room today, you probably have, and you may not even know it, but you may ultimately have hatred for who? For God. God, if you really loved me, why have you allowed this to happen to me? Maybe your life didn't turn out exactly like you thought it was going to turn out. And you're like, God, if, why hasn't my life turned out the way I dreamed it was going to turn out? It's your fault, God. You may not consciously say that or verbally speak that out loud, but deep in your heart, you really have to, have to find somebody to blame. And you may be angry at God that your life hasn't turned out the way that it's hoped. Or maybe somebody hurts you deeply. And you want that person to pay, but you know that they'll never admit that they were sorry. And you're like, God, why are you letting this person get away with this? And you may have hatred towards that person, but ultimately you may have hatred towards God because he's, you think in your mind that he's letting that person get away with it. Maybe you're blaming God for all the pain and problems that you've had in your life. And that you're unsettled in your soul. That you just kind of live in this constant conflict and turmoil in your life. Let me tell you something. I have good news for you. I have good news for you. Jesus Christ came to give you and bring you peace. Come to Jesus today. And all of that deep-rooted anger, you may not even know it, that it's there. But all of a sudden, out of the blue, you're like a time bomb waiting to go off. And something just sets you wrong or sets you off. And all this anger comes out. And you're like, where did all that come from? Let me tell you something. Sometimes we're good. We can take all the anger and the hatred that we have and we just do what? We can just push it right down and think that it's not there. If we just push it down far enough, it's gone. But deep in our heart, we know there's not really any peace there. Jesus Christ says, come to me. And and I will give you what? I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. 
You see, Paul says this in Romans 8, 6. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Paul in Romans chapter 5, you know, I read a second ago from Romans 5, but another at the very beginning of the passage, he said, Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, you are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you how awesome our Prince of Peace really is, because if you think about all of those levels and different relationships of anger or hatred or hostility that you may be having or holding on to this morning, you see, Jesus came to rid you of all of them. Because, listen, there's at least three different types of peace that Jesus came to accomplish and provide for you. Number one, he came to give you peace with God. In other words, if we're born into this world in hostility as enemies of God and that we're really living alienated from God and that we're harboring this this lifestyle of hatred, whether we admit it or not, but we're enemies of God. See, Jesus came to bring us back into relationship with God. That means that we can have peace with our creator. That means we can have peace with our heavenly father. But he also came to give you the peace of God. So peace with God means your relationship with God is restored. But he also came to give you the peace of God, which means that your relationship with other people can be restored. Your your relationship with others can be restored because of what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. But you know, he also came to give us peace in God. And you know what that means? That means you can have peace within yourself. We need to have peace with God. We need to be at peace with others. But listen, we also need to have peace where? Within ourselves. And only Jesus Christ can give us that peace. As he said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, if you're burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace. He didn't say, I'll make all your problems go away. But he said, in the midst of life and even in the midst of problems, you can still have peace. Peace with me, peace with others, peace within yourself, because I will be with you every step of the way. Question number three, are you suffering from a spirit of rejection? Come to Jesus because he will give you a true sense of belonging. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, listen to what he says. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This sense of belonging, or if I would say this spirit of rejection, guys, I think is probably one of the most powerful negative emotions that any of us will ever or have ever experienced in our lives. One of the greatest human needs that we are born into this world having is the need and a sense of belonging. We just want to be a part of something. That's why one of the worst punishments in prison is that when you're acting out and behaving, they take you out of the cell block and they put you in what? Solitary confinement. After too long in solitary confinement, you're going to probably kill yourself or lose your mind. Because that's the worst possible thing that can happen to any human being is to be completely rejected and isolated and cut off and ostracized, especially by those people whom they love. 
And we bring that spirit into this room today. Many of us in this room today, and let me tell you something. It could have been something that happened when you were a child. It could be something that you're dealing with right now. It doesn't matter. All of us have experienced on some level this spirit of rejection. And it's strong. A child who was rejected by their mother or father. Maybe dad cut out early in life and you never got to know him and you wonder, why does does my dad not love me? Spirit of rejection. Maybe it's a a spouse or a wife who's been rejected by an unfaithful husband or, or wife. Maybe it's a teenager right now who's being rejected by his or her peers. Think about what's happening in our schools with this bullying epidemic and stuff that's happening on social media and you know, kids get picked on and isolated and, and the whole school will just turn on them and laugh at them and cut them off and reject them. And you don't think that those kids take that stuff to their grave when they commit suicide? How real that is? Just simply being rejected by your peers. How it cuts us. Maybe you're an employee who was rejected by your coworkers or rejected by your... I mean, you could go on and on and on and on. But like I said, it happens when we're young. It happens when we're adult. It doesn't matter. It happens all the time. It, it made me think about back in the days when I was that little cocky young boy on the playground. And, you know, you, you get ready to, to have your 30 minutes and get your football game or your basketball game going right. So what's the first thing you're going to do? You got to pick what? Got to pick teams. And isn't it hard when you're the very last person picked? It's hard, right? You know, I was always the guy picking teams. You know, I, I get to say who's on my team or, you know, how we're going to do that. And it took a while, but later on in life, I began to see the disappointment in little kids' eyes as either you were the last person to be picked or, God forbid, you were the odd man out and you had to sit that game out. And we think, oh, that's just playground stuff. And that's, you know what? That stuff really matters. Sometimes kids internalize that kind of stuff and you're like, I was rejected by my peers. There must be something wrong with me. Many of you in this room today are suffering right now from a spirit of rejection. And see, this is where the devil really begins to hit us. This is where the devil really begins to get his foot in the door. This is where the devil really begins to shout accusations and and whisper lies into our head because he's saying, you know what? You're unlovable. You're worthless. You're not really wanted. You don't belong, not not with God or not with anybody else. Let me tell you something. If you're battling any of those thoughts in here today, this morning, those are lies from the very pit of hell. It's not true. Why can I say that together? Because Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, the Savior of the world, came into this world to give you a place, to give you a sense of belonging. He wanted to show you how much you were of worth and of value by giving his very life for you. By going to the cross so that you may know him, have a relationship with him, and be restored unto him so that you can belong to God. You see, the Bible says that anyone who receives Jesus Christ has been granted the right to be called a child of God. What a wonderful picture that you are actually adopted into the family of God. You see, Jesus came to restore vertical relationship. Our vertical relationship with God, he wants to make sure you have a place to belong. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be where I am so that where I am, you may be always with me. That's a place of belonging. 
God desires to have a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. He says, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. And you know what? He also gave you a place to belong in this world as well. And I'm just going to put a plug in for Christ Church this morning. Because I love Christ Church. And I'm going to tell you something. You may be here today and you may not have a place to belong. You may be going to all kind of other different social settings or, or looking for a place to belong. And let me tell you something. If you come here, there's a couple things you can trust. We're not perfect. We love Jesus. We love each other. And we'll love you too. I promise that. We don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out, but we're in it together. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I just need a place to belong. Let me tell you something about a church family. God gives you a place to belong. And it, and, it, and it involves something that's so much bigger than ourselves. And it gives you so much significance and meaning and purpose that you're not just doing something for the temporary, but you actually are involved in something that has uh, everything to do with eternal perspective, eternal consequences. Where you can serve the Lord and you can contribute to the work of the Lord and you can meet people and our relationships are not just... Let me tell you something about Christ Church. Our relationships aren't just surface level relationships. We go through life together. We deal with difficult things together. We pray for each other. We bear each other's burdens. We get real with one another. We talk about difficult things that are going on in our life. You, you know, if you're coming here to Christ Church, you're going to find people who love you and care about you and, and we're not going to put up a, a facade or pretend to be like everything's always okay. It's not but you have a place to belong. And so you can consider that. Jesus Christ came to set us free. Jesus Christ came to give us peace. Jesus Christ came, came to give us a sense of belonging. And the last one is this. Jesus Christ, if you come to Jesus, he will give you his very resurrection life. Are you tormented today by the spirit of death? Paul says this. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is of life, excuse me, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, just like we're born enemies of God hostile toward God, you know what? We're also born spiritually dead. Did you know that? Y'all stay with me. I promise I'm almost done. We are dead men walking in this world. We're animated. We're conscious. But the Bible is clear that apart from the life-giving spirit of Jesus Christ in us, we are dead men walking. We are spiritually dead. And something miraculous has to happen in order for us to have true life, resurrection life, eternal life, everlasting life. You see, the only way that that is possible is for Jesus Christ to come and to give us his spirit, new spiritual life born up inside of us. That's why Jesus would say something like this. He said, and, and you must be born again if you're to enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be spiritually reborn. You're not going to get into heaven living in your own flesh. 
There must be new birth that takes place. But, but there is a spirit of death in our culture. There is a fascination with death in our world today. There is a fear of death. Many of us are in here and we're trying to deny death or ignore death. But death is everywhere that we turn, not to mention the devil who is the murderer from the beginning. He is trying to steal, kill, and destroy everything near and dear to your heart. So you have a culture of death. You have an enemy of death. All of these things are around us. It's evident in what's happening in our culture. Just two things I want to bring attention to this morning. It's just been heavy on my heart. Number one is the ever-growing spirit of suicide. Suicide increased nearly 30% between the years 2000 and 2016. Over 45,000 in the U.S. committed suicide this past year. If you go and look at military veterans, the numbers are even astronomically exponentially higher. I think there's, the last I saw, something like 22 military veterans take their own life every day. It's the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, and it is one of only three leading causes that are on the rise. The Center of Disease Control has said it's more than a mental health issue. They're, they're beginning to see this is more than just a mental health issue. Yeah, of course it is. It's what? It is, there, there is mental health things going on there, but it's also a what? A spiritual issue. And for whatever it is, is that the devil uses this spirit of death, this despair, and he casts lies into people's minds and he tells them that there's, there's only one way out. There's no other way out. The life is hopeless and the only way to stop your pain is just to end it. And we know that that is not true. You begin to combine that to the drug overdose epidemic that's plaguing our culture. This past year, 72,000 people in the United States were predicted to have died from drug overdoses. That's over 200 a day. When you combine suicide and drug overdose, it's over 350 people every single day are dying unnecessarily, tormented by a spirit of death. You may be in here today and, and you may have some of those thoughts even right now or may have brought those thoughts into this room and you don't think that anybody is willing to hear or anybody is willing to listen. Let me tell you something. Please talk to me. Please talk to someone before you do anything that you would forever regret. Because there is life. There is hope. Let me tell you something. If the, if the good news had just been told to so many of these people that they have, can have forgiveness and restoration, a sense of belonging, they can have everlasting life. Think about how many lives could and could be saved if we are just doing our part to share that, that death is not the answer, but there is life everlasting. There is hope. We do have good news. I'm going to ask our worship team and our choir to, to go ahead and begin to make their way up as I, as I just give you a couple of closing verses as Jesus would say in John 14. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the what? Life. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one can come to the Father in heaven except through me. We need resurrection life. Jesus also said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet he will live. And listen to what he said. He said, and whoever believes in me and lives will never die. We don't have to be afraid of death anymore. We don't have to be plagued by death 
We don't have to look at death as the end, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we can look at death as just the doorway from this life into life everlasting. We know it's a mystery, but we know who's on the other side. And the same Jesus Christ, he told us this. He said, the same power that raised him from the grave, he says, he will give us the very same resurrection life and he will give life to our mortal bodies. He has promised to give us everlasting life. And here's the good part. You ready? Is that the everlasting eternal life is a free what? It's a free what? It's a gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough to get it. All you have to do is come to the place where say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I know you died for me. I know you've been resurrected from the grave to give me eternal life. And Lord, I receive by faith the free gift that you've given me and your life will be forever changed. You will be transformed. His Holy Spirit will come to dwell within you and you will have eternal life that very second. It's a free gift. That's the good news of the gospel. And you tell me what's better than that. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to ask Brother John to come up to give us a time of invitation. But I want to just tell you something. We're going to sing a song in just a second. It's called, Is He Worthy? And I want you to think about what I've shared with you this morning and ask yourself that question. That the same Jesus that came to set you free and bring peace and give you resurrection life and give you a place and a sense of belonging, ask yourself, is he worthy this morning? Brother John.